All right, here's the question for our time together this morning. Do you have New Year's plans? Do you have New Year's Eve plans? Do you have plans for tomorrow? Are there special meals that you intend to eat? Maybe some of you all have a tradition of eating black-eyed peas on New Year's Day. I don't know where that tradition came from, but we have it at our house. Maybe you have football games that you intend to watch tomorrow. Like at 1 o'clock will be an excellent choice. Chances are on this holiday weekend you have thought through what these next few days will look like. And chances are your plans probably will come to fruition. Probably so. And yet we all know intuitively and we've experienced in our lives, there's no guarantee any of those plans will actually take place. Not the way that we hoped they would be, or perhaps not at all. And why is that? Well, we all know why it is. We simply cannot control what will happen tomorrow. We cannot control what will happen later today. We can't control the weather. We cannot control unforeseen events. We cannot even control unforeseen, unexpected blessings in our life. And I believe it's so hard for us to admit this fact is true. Why? Because every single one of us, me included, we all want at least a little bit of control in our lives. We want the ability to predict We want to be in charge as best we can, and yet we know, both intellectually and from our own experiences, as humans, we're just limited. It's a fact. It's true. There are just limitations on what we can do, what we can guarantee. There are limitations. I had plans for Luke to be preaching right now. I have plans for him to preach next week, and yet here we are today. This issue before us, then, because of this lack of personal control, I think we have to think differently how we lead our lives, how we live as Christians. If we are limited as humans in our strength to guarantee the outcome of tomorrow, how are we supposed to live today as followers of Jesus? Are we supposed to live in a constant state of anxiety over what will happen in our future Or, as followers of Jesus, is there a better way to view this upcoming year? I want us to see this morning that we are to be outrageously confident as we think about the future. Outrageously confident as we think about the future. I feel like this is a theme the Lord keeps showing us week after week. As we face this new year, we truly can be confident, not in ourselves, but in our Lord who governs the future. Our confidence is exclusively based upon the reality that our Heavenly Father is in control of today and tomorrow and every day. All right, two points for us to consider this morning as we enter this new year. First, accept our reality in life. And then secondly, accept his promises for our lives. Our reality, his promises, and we put those together, I pray that our hearts will explode in confidence as we consider the goodness of our God and his control of our lives. All right, first, let's think about our reality, if you will, as Christians. Note here, the author of this letter is James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. He was writing to the early church as it was in the beginning stages of its earthly existence. 
These churches faced persecution from those who would not accept that this Jesus was actually the Messiah. Their enemies wanted them to leave their new faith in Christ and return to their former way of life. And under this persecution, these early Christians were confused. And who could blame them? They seemingly thought we had put our faith in Christ. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He's in control of all things. You would think that would make our lives easier, not harder. But yet here they were being persecuted. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? They expected peace because they were promised peace. And they expected peace now, not persecution. They had to wonder, maybe we missed something. Or maybe we made a mistake. Or maybe this Jesus really isn't as great as we originally thought. So James' whole letter was to these confused Christians to answer questions just like these. And for them and for us to see that God's wisdom helps us to see the world the same way that God sees the world. And how does he see it? God sees it eternally. He sees it not in the space and time of our lifespans on earth, but rather how he is shaping, how he is building, how he is growing, how he is maturing us for a life of eternity. So we really can see our trials this morning as joyful. We actually can. But we look at the world the same way he looks at the world. James' words provide a reorientation to all of us and to our whole way of life. To change the way that we look at our lives in the world. And to form us to see his purposes of his existence in his world. Now, look back at verses 13 and 14. As we're reoriented into this new reality, James provides an illustration for the sermon. And I'm grateful he does. He mentions this hypothetical business person who makes plans to travel to a different town and to sell goods and to make a profit. Nothing wrong with that. This sounds perfect, does it not? In fact, I would argue it sounds like most of our lives as we consider 2024. Don't we all have plans to do something this year which will be prosperous? Of course we do. Whether you plan to graduate from high school this year and get on with the next part of your life, whether you uh, plan to continue in your current role and set new goals, maybe it's to start a new career altogether, maybe it's to launch a new business, maybe it is to retire, which you've been hoping for for a long time. Maybe it's to plan a church, or maybe it's to go on staff with a campus ministry. The list can go on and on and on. We all have intentions this year of making good plans in hopes of prosperity. Don't we? And please catch this. James does not criticize the work of planning. That's not the sin. Not at all. That is not the sin revealed in these passages. In fact, throughout Scripture, we see that the Word of God teaches that we are to plan. We are to work hard. We are to seek prosperity. We are to aim to do well and have our goals met. The business person going about his or her calling is not the problem. Making a profit is not the problem. Capitalism is not the problem. So what was the problem? What is the problem that James presents in this scenario? What is the sin? 
why does James write these words? And the issue is very clear. It's our potential for arrogance. It's our presumption that we know what will happen. It's our boasting in what we can achieve. It's that we think we can guarantee something, our desired outcome, apart from him. It's the notion that we, the created ones, inform the creator of what the outcome of our lives will look like. Think about it. For those hearing these words for the very first time, this wisdom of the shortness of our life would have to be a difficult truth to accept. But in reality, there's no arguing with the logic. There just isn't. They and we all know this reality. We cannot, we cannot guarantee tomorrow. And to live as a Christian, we know there must be a different way. It's arrogant and it flies in the face of the one who actually does control our days. Notice verse 14. This is the hard reality for every one of us to think about. But there's freedom here. There's joy here when we accept it. How long do we live? Seriously. In comparison to eternity, how long do we live? With what is our life compared? That is, our lives here on this earth, in these failing bodies, what is our life compared? James says that we are a mist. We are people who, quote, vanish. We're like a vapor. Isn't this what you came to church to hear this morning? Of course, this is not what we want to hear. I don't want to hear this. But we will never grow in wisdom. We will never experience true joy until we accept this reality. It's not that the Lord is opposed to our success on earth at all. He's not. He is for it. It is. He wants us to see we are not God. We do not control our future. We are not the masters of our destiny. We are not the Lord of fate. We are not the Lord of our lives. When we forget who we actually are on this earth, this vapor, we will not be wise and we will fail to enjoy the days the Lord has for us. As we were traveling this past week, Uh, We went down to Tennessee for a couple of days, and on the way back, uh, our daughter Sarah had us listen to this podcast, which I kind of found interesting, but it was an interview with a man named Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas is a counselor. I think he lives in Nashville, and he's kind of an expert on parenting and that sort of thing, And, and it was a little bit talking about the new year, and he gave a great quote. I think I've heard this in the past, but it stood out to me this time. Here's what Thomas said. He said, you cannot tame that which you cannot name. You can't tame what you cannot name. Meaning, your heart, your mind, your soul will always live in this constant state of confusion and turmoil until you can specifically talk about your greatest fears, your pain, your abuses, Until you can name it, it cannot be tamed. That is, when we are honest about our confusion and our hurt, then we truly can experience joy and hope and peace. So let me ask you this morning, can you accept this reality? 
that we desperately want to calculate the outcome of our lives, and we just cannot. We don't have that ability. In your heart this morning, are you okay with the Lord interrupting your life in 2024? Again, the boast here is the problem. And I thought about this as I was preparing. I'm looking at a sanctuary of achievers who are starting a new year. In the spirit of that, will you seek the joy which comes from admitting, admitting that which you cannot control and celebrating the one who does? And let me just say this morning, if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ and you're just here because it's the holidays, thank you so much for coming. I ask you, will you wrestle with the same reality? Will you wrestle with the fact that joy is found in accepting the brevity of our life? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because of the promises that are ours by faith in the one who does know tomorrow. We've seen this first difficult reality. Now, point two, let's consider these promises that we have. Look at verse 15 and accept this morning these promises of God. What's going on in this chapter in James and really throughout this book of James is that for those who are in Christ, there's something powerful happening inside of us, whether we see it or not. There's a trajectory, if you will, of our lives. As we follow him, as the word of God is written consistently upon our heart, as we walk with him, as we submit ourselves to him over time, as we grow in Christ, you see, our thoughts become less about ourselves and they become more about him. His ways become our desires. His kingdom come and his will be done becomes not just a prayer. It really does become a preference over time. But there is a diagnostic test to determine if this maturity has taken root. Look at verse 15 and notice this key word mentioned. If. If is a powerful word related to the Lord's will. That is, rather than to presume that I am capable of controlling the world in all circumstances, when submission to him yields fruit in our lives, our mindset shifts to one of confidence, not in ourselves, but in the one who actually does control the world. Here's what God is doing. God intends to take our lives and reposition us in such a way that our confidence becomes, if the Lord does it, if the Lord desires it, then it will happen. If the Lord wills it, whatever that something is, we can be sure it will take place. The Lord will do all of his holy will. The Lord will accomplish his will. So the issue for us this morning, as we think about this new year, what do we know for a fact is God's will for us? What is it? What can we expect of him in this new year? What confidence can we, as those who have put our hope into this person, Jesus, what can we expect in 2024? And here's the answer. Now, I cannot state this precisely with details in every single one of your lives, but I can guarantee you this. Jesus will provide for you. He will. It is his will. As we'll pray in a few minutes in the Lord's Prayer, 
God's will in his unique way, it will be that our daily bread is given to us. So church, I ask you this morning, do you believe that? If that means your business is successful this year, it was his will and he provided. If that means you have a unique struggle in 2024, it is his will, but he will be with you. Whatever you face, whatever you achieve this year, the Lord's promise is that he will provide for you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible comes from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. We're not going to turn there now for the sake of time, but this is a beautiful picture, I think, of the Christian life illustrated by the land of Israel. I encourage you to go back and read it later today or tomorrow morning. The land of Israel is different than all of the surrounding countries around them. And Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes this so beautifully. He says that the land of Israel is one of hills and valleys, meaning for their crops, they could not irrigate the land themselves. All the other lands around Israel were flat and they could irrigate but not in Israel. With hills and valleys, it meant irrigation was impossible. So their only hope of survival was one thing. It's that God would send rain when rain needed to come. Do you see the difference? The land illustrates this picture of our life as a follower of Jesus. We are constantly to pay attention to him and what he is doing. We are to constantly seek his plan in our life, we are constantly to look at his agenda for every detail of our life. This is a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of thriving. I believe the Christian life is the way to live because it matches God's call for us. Being engaged with what the Lord is doing matches our life with the Creator's intent. Corey Ten Boone the great survivor of the Holocaust, who clung to her faith in Christ one day at a time in the midst of outrageous suffering. She said this about how Christians are to look at the future. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I love that. And that's the truth. We know God and he knows us. We are confident in the future because of who he is. Tin Boone also said this, that memories are not the key to the past. Memories are the key to the future. You see, our confidence for tomorrow is found in all that the Lord did yesterday and the day before that and generations before that. Whatever your hopes and plans are for the new year, this is our promise. Hear this from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You and I want the Lord's blessing on the new year. Let's not create our destiny and hold on tightly and see if it happens. Let's trust the one who is faithful, who has always been faithful. Let's boast in our confidence that Jesus will write his story in our lives for his glory and for our good. This is how we live. James ends this section of his letter with verse 17. With one final word of instruction. He says, if you know the right thing to do and fail to do it, for you, it is sin. That is, we are not to delay in fulfilling what we have been called to do. 
We are not to presume more time. We're not to wait to act. No, today is the time to act. The Lord has given us today. Now, as we prepare to come around the table, I am reminded of our Lord himself, who knew when it was time to act. You see, we do not know what tomorrow will bring, but there was a day when Jesus knew exactly what would happen to him the following day. We are unable to control the future. Jesus knew exactly what would happen to him. The night before the crucifixion, when Jesus was at the Mount of Olives, and he knew his future, and he was praying, asking that his father would remove this cup of wrath. Yet he is the one who knew that cup would not be removed. He knew what the next day would bring. He knew that suffering awaited him. He knew that he would die a painful death. He knew his friends would betray him. He knew his father would unleash wrath upon him that was uncomparable. He knew that he would become sin so that ours could be taken away. And he knew on that day there was no other way. And that by his death, our life would come. His purpose on this earth was to come to the cross There was no one else capable of doing it. He fulfilled his father's purpose and he knew exactly what he was doing. So what do we know this morning for sure? What is our boast? What is our confidence? We know this. We know that the one who died for us, because we think we know all things, he is the one who has promised to give us grace. Grace for today, grace for tomorrow, and grace forevermore. We know that our boast is in our Savior, who knows us, who loves us, who is returning for us. Our confidence in tomorrow is based exclusively in our Savior. Now, let's come this morning and celebrate the reality that he is with us and he will never leave us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, and we will transition to the Lord's Prayer, and then we will come and feast together again this week. Father, as we think of these words, as we think of these promises from your word, I ask you, Lord, that you would strengthen us with wisdom from above. Give us hearts this morning to believe your promises. Make us exceedingly confident in who you are. Oh, Father, help us to look back over the years of our life and to trace your grace. And I pray that that would affect us this morning. And now, God, we pray as your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.